Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in Mark 14, starting in verse 26. And the last time we looked at really communion, the Lord instituting this rite of communion, what it means, um, really what it truly means, not what mainline denominations have turned it into. Some denominations have added too much that doesn't belong in there. It's not what Jesus instituted. And some have taken out the rest of it, the victory celebration that Jesus speaks about. So we'll talk about that as we partake of communion today. This morning we're going to go into really a period of time where the disciples have been walking with Jesus for over three years. And it's time to walk, guys. Speaking of the disciples, you know, the, the, the name of the title is Walk the Talk. So they're going to go through a crisis. Jesus is going to need some human compassion. I mean, he's going to the cross in a few hours. And the disciples end up failing. And they fail. And they fail again. But the cool thing is eventually God uses them to become the pillar of the church. And I think that's really going to be an encouragement to us because this message is, you know, we're going to hit two spots in this. We're going to look at conviction. We're going to look at maybe things in our lives where God expects something from us. We've been coming to church. We've been reading the Bible. We have Christian friends. But God also wants us to walk in what we've learned. I mean, that's a huge part of our faith. So there's going to be conviction, but there's also going to be encouragement because we're going to look at 12 that were selected, handpicked by the Lord, and they failed. And they failed. And they failed again. So I really, this is going to be, so what did you learn in church today? Well, I was encouragingly rebuked and convicted. Exactly. You know, that's the sweet spot. We were encouraged, but we're, we're also convicted and we're, we're pressed to move on to, to greater things that the Lord wants from us. Right? In, in counseling, I like to share some of my trials to make the person feel better. And they seem to be really happy that, my, that their pastor goes through trials, but a lot of them don't want it for themselves. Now, I don't know if I should be flattered or insulted. You know, the jury's still out on that one. Uh, we're going to break it down into four sections. There's only going to be a few verses this morning. Before I go into the scripture, though, I want to give you context. All right, context, background. I always do that before I go into the scripture because we're in the middle of the chapter. So what, what happened? What's going on before we read these verses? Well, the first thing is, this is a, a, a context of contrasts, right? It's these highs and lows. You know, Jesus is, John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. He celebrates Passover with them. He institutes this new rite of communion, which is pregnant with meaning, which is awesome. And then he says, one of you is going to betray me. And it kind of goes, the mood kind of dampens. And the disciples are saying, is it me, Lord? Is it me? He sends Judas out to do what he, what he needs to do. And then the disciples, according to Luke 22, one more time they're arguing about who's the greatest disciple. Imagine that. It just goes to show you that they're humans. So it's kind of like now they're, they're well, oh, well, it wasn't me because I'm a really good disciple. I don't know how they, they phrased it, but they're kind of on high again. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when I need you the most, you're all going to deny me. Oh, can't be, Lord. So it kind of goes down again. So that's where we are. Before I jump into the scripture, there's the context. I'm gonna, I put all the, the gospels together 
So we have a, a full picture of what's going on. So let's jump in in verse 26. He says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of Jerusalem. Right? Then Jesus said, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written. Now he quotes scripture from the Old Testament, Zechariah 13, 7. Quote, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised... Resurrected, I will be. I will go before you into Galilee. Peter said, "Even if all are made to stumble, meaning the other disciples, yet I will not be." And Jesus said, "Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times." But he spoke. Peter spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So the first segment we see is the Lord prophesies disciples' major failure. And I've said this before, don't be afraid of failure. Failure in my life has been an awesome teacher. I have a whole bunch of mental notes of things that I'm not going to do again because they failed miserably. So as we get older, we learn from failure, but we have to learn from it. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. What jumps out at me too is that they sing a hymn. Well, guess who initiated the hymn? The Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go, Jesus is going across in a few hours. It's incredible trial, and what does he do? He sings. Hey, don't we all? Probably not, okay? But what does the Lord show us? He shows us that we can have joy in the midst of trials. Wait, let me repeat that. Jesus shows us that we can have joy in the midst of trials. You know, sometimes as believers, we get so tweaked about stuff. And when the initial shock of it is over, we have to realize that we can still have joy through this. You know, Jesus is our, our quintessential example. Everything we see Jesus do, right? He's given us the power through His Holy Spirit to do. So it, it's an amazing thing. In verse 27, the Lord, in prophesying His disciples' failure, right, He quotes this scripture, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And basically the Lord says two things, and I'll paraphrase what Jesus says to His disciples. The first thing He says is, hey guys, I'm telling you ahead of time that when I desire your compassion the most, you guys are all going to flake out on me. Basically what he tells them. Second thing he says, but I'm going to be resurrected, and you're going to see the blood, and you're going to see the gore and the nails, and you're going to see me you know, lose my life, but I'm going to rise again. And when I do, when you guys get your head screwed on straight again, and you're past the trauma of what you see, go to Galilee, because I'm going to meet you there. You can read any holy book you want. You'll never find anything like this. No one's ever suggested this. No one's ever tried this because that was the mark of truly God came down in the form of a man and he predicted his resurrection time and time again. Let me tell you something. The whole Roman world, everybody had a stake in finding the body. 2,000 years later, can't find the body. And if the disciples hid the body, I, I go through this in apologetics, and they were being picked off one by one, tortured mercilessly by the Roman government. Who would die for a lie? How stupid. Hey, somebody retrieved the body. This isn't good for us. But the more Christians they killed, the more would pop up. And the reason is because they, Jesus, his resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, he showed himself to over 500 people. Of course that you couldn't kill Christianity. True Christianity. Unfortunately, a lot of some of what we see today isn't real Christianity because it's not based on the scripture. This was the real deal. So he says, 
I'm going to rise again. Now, Jesus reveals character flaws to the guys. You guys are going to deny me. And what do we do when God reveals a character flaw to us? Well, we argue with him, of course, don't we? I mean, enter Peter. He's arguing with the Lord. Imagine that. Actually, he boasts to the point where he probably is irritating the other disciples. As we go through the Gospels, we've seen some of this. This, this rivalry. They did, just did it in Luke 22. I said it in my opening. However, when God shows us something, we never argue with him, do we? Of course we do. Of course we do. That's the blessing, I think, what I read in this. And Man, you can make so many applications in the Bible. My pastor told me once, he goes, my trouble is what to leave out of my sermon so they're not three hours long. And when I started doing it, I'm like, I exactly see what he's talking about. I can get down from here on any given day and somebody said, well, you, you could have said this. and you could, Yeah, I could have said a whole bunch of things, but you'd be here till 5 o'clock. And I don't think every, all of you would appreciate that. But the cool thing is that, you know, God knows us better than we know ourselves, and we still find ourselves arguing with him. I don't know about you, but did you ever pray about something so impassioned about it and it turns out not the way you prayed, and God did something else, and you're upset at first. But then maybe a few months later or a year down the road, you look back and you go, wow, that was a great plan. I'm so glad he didn't listen to me. I am thankful, I'm going to tell you this truthfully, ask my wife, I am thankful for unanswered prayers. I am thankful that when I asked for things from the Lord, if he would have given it to me, it would have hurt me. It would have been stupid on my part, because I don't have the foresight. I, I can't give that to you. The tears, the begging, the pleading. It was only about a year or two, ten years later, you realize, wow, he was right. I'm so glad he didn't give me what I asked for. He always knows best. And this goes to show us, too, that no matter how much, and, and we're seeing these debates in the media. You follow the media. Everybody's screaming and angry and crying. Everybody's yelling at each other. There's like no civil discourse it seems in our society, we've degraded so much. But it just goes to show you, too, that it doesn't matter how much passion a person, a person espouses, it doesn't make it right. All the crying, all the screaming, all the vilification, it doesn't make it right. Don't, be, don't let your eyes, don't let your senses deceive you into what you're seeing. If they would have made a movie about this scene, some might have said, well, Jesus was wrong. Look at those disciples, they're sincere. But they were sincerely wrong. And we can be sincerely wrong. We're, um, let me just jump to, if I could, Luke 22, 31 through 34. Luke 22. This is so powerful when you take this in. Jesus talking to Peter specifically. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He's not calling them Petros, Shimon, Shimon. That's the original name that Peter had when he first met him. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Sifting was a, a method of separating what's good from what's not good. Satan did this to Job. Is he really a good guy? Is he really a saint? Let me have my way with him. Let me take away, God, all the blessings you gave him, and let's see if he still blesses you. Verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. 
that you even know me. Wow. Brothers and sisters, if you desire to rise above the pale of the Christian community, which isn't hard to do, you will be sifted. You will be sifted. I've heard a lot of boasting in my 11 years as a pastor, and I've seen a lot of people flake out. It's just my expression. Where do they go? What happened? To some, it was a, a trial that just completely torpedoed them. To others, it was success, and they actually got what they wanted from the world, and they left God behind. We will be sifted. Jesus knew, though, with Peter, when you return to me, Peter, you're going to go through a hard time. You're going to go through trauma. You're going to go through emotional distress. You might even go through uh, acute form of PTSD. But you will return. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. When, when Peter denied the Lord and cried bitterly, my, maybe he never thought that there would be any use for him. But Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. And brothers and sisters, he does the same way to us. I've talked to people and I've had very, very few, because you know some people are, are boasters about this, very few and far between that God has given me the gift of prophecy. And there's times that I've prophesied to people or a group of people that this is going to happen. And one, one in particular, it was three times, and it did. It did happen. And it was a similar situation to this. It was pretty fantastic. I look back, and I'm like, wow, Lord, you're amazing. I didn't say I'm amazing. I said the Lord is amazing. You know, it's, it's whom he desires to give these gifts to, and for how long, it's, it's his choice. But I know I'm hammering some of these points home, but I think that they're very important. God knows us more than we, we know ourselves, and that's the first point. And I want to encourage you that in the flesh, we're tied to these fleshly bodies. See, we're born again of the Spirit. We don't see anything on the outside because we still have these bodies of death. Every day the cells are breaking down. Every day there's mutations. And it's the good news, right? Every day the skin and the, the hair, and it just it degrades. It's the, it's the bodies of death that we live in, and eventually we die. When we became, become born again of the Spirit, it's an inside change. It can't be seen. Not with an MRI, not with a CAT scan or an X-ray. It's something that God does to the spirit of a person. And for that reason, we, we live forever. Right? The Apostle Paul says, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. So we could be in our 80s and 90s and lose all faculties, but the inside, the spirit, the eternal part is, is powerful. It's still going, and it goes all the way into eternity. And that's what born again means. We're born again of the spirit of God. We now have a relationship with God. So it's a pretty exciting thing when you look at it. So Listen, don't be upset. In the flesh, we're going to fail. It doesn't mean we should enjoy fail failing. It doesn't mean we should plan failure. It means that we're going to fail. But the Lord is always there to be merciful and to forgive us. And what do we do when we fail? Hopefully not quit, go around acting like a victim, and then get on the talk show circuit. That seems to be, again, I, I, there's a lot of problems with our culture. And I would be remiss if I didn't apply what happens in the Scripture to American culture. If I was in Europe or I was in Africa, I would do the same thing as a pastor. But we're in America. We're in New Jersey in 2014. And you don't have to look far, right? You don't have to read the news or go on TV and see that this is the culture, right? To, to almost, it's amazing. The World War II generation is so much different than our generation. And I mean every age group. I'm not picking on anybody in particular. But it's like, pick yourself up. God wants to pick us up, but you know he can't be doing more work than we're allowing him to do. We have to open the door of our lives for him to actually come in. We have to do some of the work. 
We have to lay our will down. This is the amazing thing about free will. God has given us this thing called free will. And, and we have the free will to reject him. We have the free, free will to do whatever we want. Make a million, treat people poorly, uh, ignore him for our whole life. That's our free will. Amazing. We're free moral agents. And then when we become believers, he asks us to lay down our will, but he asks us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't make us. But at some point, we have to use the free will that he gave us in a spiritual sense to lay down that free will so that he could use us mightily in the spirit. A little confusing? (laughs) But it's fun. It's awesome. And and I tell you, there's times that I pray, Lord, I just can't get victory of this part of my life. Will you please just take away my free will? And he never does. He wants me to make the effort as well. He wants me to keep coming to him. I suppose if he perfected any of us, then maybe we'd walk away again because we wouldn't need him. See, it's a, daily, it's a daily relying on him, a daily trusting him, a daily asking him to infuse our lives and to empower us. Amen? Mm. Well, I'm just going to say this too, that don't own, don't own anything that anybody says to you that's negative. For, you know, I, I, I read the paper too and I see what's going on. I can tell you something. What breaks my heart, we had the teens in service this morning. What breaks my heart is when I read a story about a teen who takes their life because of bullying. And some of you might think, you know, I'm being bullied and I'd like to tell somebody and I'm keeping it to myself. Tell somebody. Please tell somebody. Well, Pastor Joe might think that's silly. No, I don't think it's silly at all. I became a police officer because I, because I wanted to stop people from bullying other people. All right, maybe it's too TMI here. But when I was young, I got bullied and picked on. I was always tall and skinny. I grew real fast, and man, they just picked me out. (laughs) And and I had to learn to defend myself and such. But listen, for every word that somebody says something to you, you're, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're a loser, nobody likes you. For every word that somebody says that to you, I can give you five or ten words that the Bible says that can counteract that. They just want control over you. Don't let them win. Don't do that. Don't hurt yourself. Talk to somebody. The Bible says that you're unique. The Bible says that of all the billions of the people on planet Earth, He's made you. Nobody compares to you. The Bible says that, that you know, we have natural gifts, but the Bible says that when we're born again, He also gives us spiritual gifts. The Bible says that He loves us. The Bible says that we're special. The Bible says that we can be successful in life, and He wants to help us to receive those high heights and to glorify His name. Yeah. So next time you hear that garbage, tune it out. Don't let them win. Get your nose into the Bible. Talk to somebody and have somebody infuse something into you where that you can be empowered, that that has no effect over you because because it's that important. Okay, back to Jesus' trial. We have our own trials. Jesus had his trial this evening. What was the cup that Jesus referred to in verse 36, in Mark 14, where he said, Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Just give me a second. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm actually jumping ahead. Jesus did pray that the cup would be taken from him, right, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The cup constituted three things. Number one, being separated from the Father on the cross as a result of bearing the sins of yours and mine collectively. A lot of sins, just in this room. 
Now multiply that by the world. Now multiply that by anyone who's ever lived and anyone who's going to live. That's been, I don't think anybody would sign up for that except someone who loved us that much. So, number one, being separated temporarily from the Father for the first time, and I'd probably submit the last time ever in eternity. Think about that. Number two, it, it, the result of, of being separated from the Father or the impetus was bearing the sin of the world. And number three is the pain and the agony of the cross. Believe it or not, I put that in last place. We might think, oh, the cross. Where do we go into the cross and what a person suffered through this horrible form of torture? But I submit to you that for Jesus, yeah, that was painful, but that was last place. The other two were more horrific. And only until we really study the scripture do we really have the gravity and the weight of understanding that and what he went through. Verse 32, we continue. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? So the second block that we see is the start of the disciples' failure. Gethsemane literally means oil press. Now, if you, you know, Jerusalem is, is, is kind of mountainous, high elevation, and then there's ravines, and then you cross over and you get to different places and if you cross over to the east, you end up in this Mount of Olives. And there was a garden there, and there would be probably very beautiful olive groves. And in the middle of these olive groves would be a press. So you could eat the olives. I like olives. <laughs> I like natural foods as much as I can get them. Uh, but you could also take the olives and press them and make an oil out of it. And they would be able to export this to other regions. So this is what's going on here. A little industry there for you. But Gethsemane means oil press. And this is fitting because all, 13, all 12 of them, excuse me, Judas had left by that time. So the 11 disciples remaining in Jesus, they were all being pressed. However, only one passed, and that, of course, was Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be pressed too. You know, life is going to squeeze us. Our own poor choices in sin are going to squeeze us. What somebody does to us that's unfair is going to squeeze us. You know, we can't really, we can't go through life with some bubble, imaginary bubble, and think that we're never going to go through trials. But I'll tell you this, I lived many years as a non-believer, and then I've lived um, many years as a believer, and I would rather go through those trials with the Lord. So we are going to be pressed. It's not something that we can avoid. And here's the encouragement to you is that, again, this was the A-team. This was the, the cream of the crop. And they struggled and they failed. But again, they eventually overcame. Now let's look to Jesus' prayer here. He says, and, and let's contrast it to things that we hear today. Jesus basically said, he expressed his will to the Father. Who would want to go to the cross? Nobody. However, he said, but whatever your will is, I'm going to accept it. 
This is a classic model prayer. Again, everything, you know, it's hard to be a Christian for 10, 20 years and, and even go to a church where the Gospels aren't even referred to. There is so much information here. There is, this is so uh, building. It's life building. It, it's, it's, it, it's so maturing. It's so encouraging and empower, empowering. How do we be Christians and never read the, the, the Gospels? I mean, there's so much there. If you turn on some Christian TV or read some Christian books, you'll find that you should demand stuff from God that he owes you. And again, it's a reflection of this. Yeah, believe it or not, I have seen it and heard it with my own ears. It reflects the attitude of this generation, this entitlement generation. I'm owed something from everybody. We're not owed, any, we're not owed anything. And it's, it's, it's this poison has gotten itself from the culture into the church. This prosperity gospel, this name it and claim it. You'd never be sick. You'd never be uh, without a penny in your pocket. It's, it's not biblical. This is the classic prayer. We, we ask the Lord for what we want, what we desire. He will respond in faith and grant things that are according to his will. The things that are not good for us, he won't give us. You know, I mean, you hear, oh, I, I want the mansion on the cul-de-sac. I want this, I want that. Man, that sounds like an eight-year-old praying. I want this toy, I want that toy, I want... Are you concerned about anybody else or just yourself? We can't be adults and be praying like we're little kids that don't have understanding. It's not right. It's not right. So the true relationship with God is that we pour our heart out to him, but accept his will for our life. And we ask him if it's a difficult pill or a difficult cup that he gets us through that situation. Verse 37, and again, he says to Peter, he found them sleeping, and he says to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? The Lord didn't need his disciples. Let me make that clear. Fully God, fully man. You saw him do the miracles. He raised people from the dead. Did he really need anything from a bunch of human beings? But being fully man, he desired that companionship. And at the most difficult time in his life, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. It's no different, you know, when we go through difficulties, when we're in the hospital, we, we call up, you know, we ask, is there you know, somebody who, a loved one, somebody close to, to help us, to minister to us when we're in the hospital? Some of you have been through traumatic things. You know, Jesus, this was a road that most people don't take, and, and he, the disciples caught his vision. And a lot of them, uh, I think everyone except John, were martyred. They were killed. They were murdered. They were tortured in some way, but they didn't give up because this was their calling in life. And I'll tell you this, that when you choose to follow the Lord and again rise up above the pale and desire that road, sometimes the road can be very difficult. I actually have a side ministry. I just talked to a pastor not too long ago of you know, the, the statistics show. I know you see in this area, it's just an anomaly. You know, churches pop up all over the place in different places. You know, there's always a sign on the lawn, this place is going to be... They're renting all kinds of places. But in, in Western Christianity, and I, I lump Europe into this too, churches are on the decline. Actually, in, in Europe, a lot of churches have closed, and uh, the Muslims have bought it, put up the crescent moon, taken down the cross, put the Arabic writing. I've seen pictures of it. Um, and in the United States, it's no different. Uh, more people are leaving the pastorate than coming in. It's a very challenging time that we live in. On a side ministry, I don't do it that often, I counsel pastors who were 
who were ready to, to pack it in. And we've been through a lot early in ministry, and why, why waste that? See, why not use that trial to bless somebody else? And it's, it's been great. It's been very successful. I don't, I don't charge for it. It's just, you know, it's just my experiences. So it, it's a difficult road. Even if you're not a pastor, if you're you know, a Christian who just wants to rise above and, and do what the Lord has called you to do, can be a tough road. It was so tough that in Luke 22, now remember, Luke was a physician, and he's the only one who records this. In Luke 22, it says that Jesus' sweat, his sweat was like great drops of blood. Now, there's a, um, a medical term for that, for that today, which I don't think Dr. Luke back then would have known that, but I could be wrong. It's called hematohydrosis, where uh, extreme stressful conditions break the capillaries by the skin area, and some blood weeps out. And if you're sweating, it actually weeps out and mixes with the, with the sweat and you have this big globular type of red or pinkish sweat that comes out. So this was a very stressful time uh, that the Lord had gone through. Make no mistake about it. He was tough, otherwise he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He didn't have to physically, he could have stopped it. But it was also a very stressful time for him. And why did he do it? For me and you. He did it for me and you. If you're walking into this church or you're hearing this for the first time, he cares about you. He loves you. He died for you personally, and you're not here by mistake hearing this this morning. Verse 38, Jesus says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. The third segment is the Lord shows the disciples the way to avoid failure. To avoid failure. Well, let's see. In Mark 13, we read that Jesus told the disciples to be watchful and prayerful. Why? So they wouldn't be deceived. We talked about the coming Antichrist, all the things that the Bible speaks about in our future, and we already see that stuff being lined up. That was a great series. I think we took that and broke it up into four parts. Here he says, be watchful and prayerful so that you don't fall into temptation. You see, brothers and sisters, being a Christian isn't just you know, praying at dinner and coming to church on Sunday. Being a Christian is a relationship with the Lord. I've got a garage, I've got a car, and I've got a bunch of tools. And I know how to work on cars. It doesn't make me a mechanic. I'm either a mechanic or I'm not a mechanic. So don't let me work on your car because you don't know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, look, this wrench and uh, hammer, you know. Mechanics are mechanics. I, I diddle sometimes, but I'm not a mechanic. A Christian is somebody who relies on the Lord, who has a relationship with the Lord. It isn't what we do on the outside. It's actually what emanates from the inside. Can I tell you something? Playing Christian, playing church, that's too hard for me. I find that extremely difficult. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather say, Lord, you know, help me through this situation. I'm really struggling. This person's coming into my office for counseling. I, I'm not familiar with anything that this person's going through. You know, just relying on the Lord instead of trying to wing it. We could wing stuff, but eventually it gets exhausting. It's got to come from the inside. Everything we do, relying on the Lord, right? The spirit is ready, but the flesh is weak. I don't often, often give homework, but I'm going to ask you to do this if you wouldn't mind. When you go home, at some point this week, would you read Romans 7, verses 15 through 25? Romans 7, 15 through 25, the Apostle Paul, who we all love and admire, are all amazed by him and his writings. 
what the Lord did in his life. And here he goes through this struggle of how he wants to do things in his spirit and his flesh sometimes is a hindrance. Sometimes the things he wants to do as a man of God, he ends up not doing. And the things he doesn't want to do because he's born again of the spirit and an apostle, he ends up doing. Again, that's, that's really encouraging too. Sometimes it's a weird thing. When you're born physically, you come out of your mother's womb. And this was a discussion that Jesus had in Romans, excuse me, in John 3 with Nicodemus, the religious leader. You come out of your mother's womb and, you know, you're a kid. I did it too. You know, you accumulate toys and you scream when your diaper's dirty and you scream when you're hungry and you scream when your sibling takes a toy because it's mine. And then we become adults and I don't know if much changes. Sometimes we throw tantrums and we don't want other people taking our stuff and our things. And then we, we were born again of the Spirit. And now all of a sudden, instead of being of a, of a single mind, selfish, 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 we start to change. There's a new, a new um, thing happening inside of us where it teaches us the things of God. Remember Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, we covered last Sunday. The, the Lord just, it kind of, like he downloads this stuff into you. And now you start fighting with yourself. It, it's kind of a weird thing. You know, when you become a believer, especially a new believer, you still have that old nature, but the new nature wants to please God. And sometimes you fight with yourself. Sometimes you're successful and sometimes you're not. You almost become, I have, to, I have to say it, spiritually bipolar in a sense, you know what I'm saying? But one day the Lord, when he takes us home, we won't have the flesh and the old nature to drag us down anymore. It will just be, what an awesome time it's going to be, Revelation 21. No more crying, no more sadness, you know, uh, no more sorrow. For the former things have passed away, and we look forward to that day. So the spirit is, is ready, but the flesh is weak. When we're not prepared at nighttime, if we, you know, here's another, uh, um, if we're not really prepared to receive what the Lord says and we're really not in the Spirit, sometimes we can read the Bible and fall asleep at night. Because we're, just like the disciples, you know, hey guys, do this, do this. This is Jesus they were walking with and they still fell asleep on him. So if we're not prepared spiritually, reading the Bible can put us to sleep. Because the flesh says, no, I don't want you to read that. Go to sleep. It was really good, uh, Effective Prayer Life by Chuck Smith. This little book, little tiny book, uh, he brings up some of these points. Very fascinating. Then you, you read it and you go, oh, that's why I do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he talks about that. Same thing with praying. You could pray at night and we're tired, we fall asleep. Because Jesus says you've got to be watchful. You've got to be vigilant spiritually. You know, temptation... Jesus said to not to fall into temptation. Temptation is like a mousetrap. Okay? It's loaded. <laughs> Careful. Everyone stand back. It's loaded. And when you are tempted and you're not spiritually prepared, all you see is the cheese. When you are prepared and you're watchful and you're prayerful, you see the cheese but you also see the tripwire and the spring and that nasty thing that flips over and, and, and you say to yourself, you know, I, I still like the cheese, but I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. If we're not spiritually prepared, there's your illustration for the morning. I didn't want to disappoint anybody thinking I didn't have something up my sleeve, so there you go. As you can see, spiritually, the consequence, so anybody who was sleeping just, what did he just do? What was that? <laughs> the consequences of not being spiritually prepared are 
heartbreaking, painful, brings death, brings sorrow, brings dishonor to our loved ones. These are all the things that not being spiritually prepared and falling into temptation bring. That's a good example. Verse 39, last few verses of the morning. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. This wasn't even the arrest. This wasn't even when the temple guards and the soldiers came. This is just hanging out with the Lord and asking them to stay awake. I'm going to the cross. But would we have done anything different? He found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer. That's called busted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guys! <gasps> I can't make it... He knows everything. I can't pretend that I was really awake the whole time. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. So the fourth part and the last part is... The Lord's warnings and instructions go unheeded. Unheeded. When we don't follow what the Lord says, when we're not tied into Him in prayer, when we're not um, living out the Scripture, we fail. And sometimes we're a bad witness. There was no boasting here, by the way. Remember a few hours ago, they were boasting and Peter was more vehement and arguing with the Lord. They, just, they were just busted. Right? They were sleeping and they had nothing to say. We have to be careful in Western Christianity that we don't succumb to a lot of media, Christian media, a lot of uh, spurious teachings because I think in some ways the church is sleeping too. We can look at this as individuals, but we can also look at this collectively. You see, in, in the Western illusion, in the Western church, we have electricity, we have technology, we have you know, all kinds of amazing stuff. But I'll tell you what, the Christians who are really being refined right now are in Kurdistan, who have nothing, who barely have their shirts off of their back, where ISIS hunted them down. They could have kept their homes and their possessions and everything if they just would have converted to Islam. But they, they know the risen Lord. Therefore, they've lost family members. They've been separated. They don't miss people are missing. They're in um, displaced persons camps. This is the crisis of the 21st century. And unfortunately, the world is, I don't, know, I, think we're, I don't think we're doing enough. But those Christians, they don't have projectors, and they don't have speakers, and they don't have large congregations. But what they do have is they're serious about their faith. Amen? They are being refined. Pastor Jay, just, you know, I'm really good friends with Pastor Jason in Calvary, New Brunswick. He told me about a church in his area that... Uh, did a several Sunday series on pornography and even showed clips in case people didn't know what pornography was. I hear stuff and then I say, no, it can't be. And then I research it and go, I can't believe I'm seeing this. I can't believe I'm hearing this. I can't believe, you know, the design is to pull people in, to draw them in, to excite them, to, to tantalize them, you know, and to get big congregations. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. If we stay this number until the rapture, but we're all matured and we're doing what the Lord calls us to do and going out in the Jamesburg, I'm happy with that. I can, I can just rest and say to the Lord, hey, I did my best. Look at these people. They're, they know their word and they're, they're bringing people to, to Christ and they're praying with people and they're visiting the, the poor and feeding them. That's all that matters. In, in Western Christianity, we have a, a stupid view of what church is supposed to I can go on. 
I could go on about a lot of other examples. I don't even want to bother naming names, but this is what we're dealing with. The church is sleeping. Right? The church of Sardis in Revelation, Jesus said, you have a, a name that you are alive. You know, you have, people would walk in, and I heard um, Damien Kyle teach on this. How many of you are familiar with Damien Kyle? He's a great teacher. And he says, you know, you walk into the church of Sardis in 2014, and it's a happening place. And Jesus says, you're dead. You're dead. You only have the appearance that you're alive. We go too far away from this book, and we get ourselves into trouble. We get lost spiritually. We're lost in the woods without any breadcrumbs to get us back. And that's what's going on. In Luke 22, an angel comes and appeared and ministers to the, to the Lord when the disciples fail. Again, it's just me. I just look at the scripture and I'm just blown away by what I read. But check this out. Before the Lord came in the form of a man incarnate, he, the angels worshipped him. He had a hand in the creation of the angels. Now check this out. He takes the form of a man. I bet you it was weird for the angels. This is their, this is their Lord. This is their God. But he, he's in the form of a man and they just come and they minister to him. Unusual position for the angels. When you really read about this stuff, people get into angel worship. The angels worship him. Him. They know him. As I said in my opening, this should be convicting but encouraging at the same time. We can know our scripture and then become overfed sedentary sheep in the sense that we just keep taking in, taking in, taking in, consuming the word, consuming the word. We know so much about the word, but when we're supposed to act, we don't act on it. We can just accumulate knowledge, don't live it out ourselves, and become no use to God. Kind of useless to go to a church, and I've said this, that doesn't teach God's word. At the same time, it's equally useless to store up Bible knowledge and not walk in it, not use it. I can use a bunch of pithy one-liners to sum up this section. I, I was trying to figure out what to name it. Walk the talk, learn then leap, um, classroom to crisis, victory not vacillate, boot camp to the battlefield, police academy to the public, whatever, you know. It all means the same thing. I said last Sunday that the, Jesus had the disciples trust. He did. But here, their flesh and their fears and their temptation caused them to fail, caused them to not walk the talk. By the way, it does end well, <laughs> if you're just visiting for us. At the end of the gospel, it, it ends great. We too can be there or we can truly trust him through the storms. Obediently trust him. I want to encourage you with this, that we will fail in life, but what happens after the failure? Every one of those men and women that followed him went on to do great things except Judas. The disciples, again, they went on to be martyred, but they were not going to let a man stop them from what the Lord had called them to do. I just want to encourage you this morning, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, God can use you. God can use you. You know, we at this church don't look at this as an exclusive club. If you say, hey, I'd like to serve. Hey, the Lord's been impressing that I should donate some of my time to do something. There's a lot of stuff we can do in this area, brothers and sisters. You won't be turned down. I tell you what, rebuke me if I say, oh, we don't need you. Nonsense. I'll find something for you to do. Because, you know, this is, this is the time, Jesus said 2,000 years ago, where the harvest is ripe for the picking. 
to, to lead people to the Lord, to, to do miracles, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said even back then, but the laborers are few. And that, that holds true today. Look at the statistics. Churches emptying out, the younger generation being what they call unchurched. Right? So work is even harder now. The darkness is moving in, but Jesus said the light will eventually come and swallow up the darkness. And that's up to him when he decides to do that. So I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, you're special, you're unique. God has given you gifts that I don't have, that I'll never have. So I just want to encourage you that whatever failure brings you in life, that you can overcome that, you can be victorious. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let's have a